I'm Chad Roberts, and you're listening to Awakened to Grace. On today's episode, we are in chapters 10 and 11 in our walk through the book of Revelation, and what a thrilling study it has been so far. Today, we come to the portion of the book that the Bible teaches two unique characters during the seven-year tribulation period, and the Bible simply calls them the two witnesses. Who could these two witnesses be? Well, today I'm going to give you some biblical evidence of who I believe the two witnesses are, and they may surprise you. Also, in chapter 10 that we're going to cover, this is a great transition period in the book, and we're going to see why God says there'll be no more delay. What an incredible statement by God Almighty. We're going to see the transition that happens in this portion of Revelation. I hope you're walking through each chapter with me as we are nearing the midpoint of our study. But if you've missed other sermons, make sure you go back into the archives, catch up on the episodes that you've missed. And as always, I hope that you are listening to our podcast. Make sure that you download or subscribe to Awakened to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast. Well, we're going to get to today's teaching. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 10. And I'm so glad you're joining me today on Awakened to Grace. So let's go Revelation chapter 10. We're going to jump right in. Caleb, walk us through it, brother. This is Revelation chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the okay. land. So let's explain first off, who is this angel that John sees? Now, for centuries, there's debate on this, and there's basically two schools of thought here. Some believe that it is some type of very high authority angel. We don't truly know, but this is a revelation at least 60 times mentions angels. So some believe that this is a very high-arcing, very high-powerful angel. Others believe that this is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am in that persuasion. I'm in that camp. I believe this is actually the Lord Jesus Christ appearing before John. And there are some evidences to that. Number one, the fact that he's wrapped in a cloud. That speaks of deity. Number two, the rainbow, which we've already seen in chapter 4 around the throne of God. That speaks of deity. In a moment, we're going to hear the seven thunders uh, that speak. In Job chapter 37, verse 5, it mentions that the voice of God is like thunder. In a moment, he is going to swear by the Lord Almighty. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it was not 
uncommon that the Lord would appear as an angel and that he would swear by his own name. So these things are not uncommon. And I believe for all of those evidences, I believe that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's the small scroll that he has? If you're going to take notes, get ready, write this down. We don't know. That's just a fact. We don't know. <laughs> the only other scroll that's mentioned is this title deed of the earth in chapter 5, which we explained in all that. And it's interestingly enough, the, 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 the prophet Ezekiel had the exact same experience that John is about to have. So Caleb, take, continue us through this. Verse 3, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. Another evidence that perhaps this is Christ because chapter 5, what is Christ called? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Okay, continue. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament was told to seal up the words of prophecy because it wasn't time. You fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation thousands of years later. And now Revelation chapter 1, the word revelation... And I used, to, I used to, by accident, call it revelations. We, we, sometimes we say revelations. It's not revelations as in plural. It is the book of revelation. Why? Because the word revelation literally means the unveiling, the revealing. And, and listen, you cannot miss this if you're going to be a serious student of God's word. You cannot miss this. Revelation is not about the unveiling of the Antichrist or the mark of the beast or the seven-year tribulation period. All that's fascinating. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're, we're going to study it all, but that's not the unveiling. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And if you miss that, then you miss the whole point of the book. So why was Daniel told to seal it up, but John was told to open it up? Isn't that fascinating? John, who is he known as? He is the apostle. He's known as the beloved. And what was Daniel called in Daniel 9 when Gabriel came to visit him to give him the prophecy? What did the Bible tell him? Gabriel said, Daniel... You are beloved of God. You are greatly loved. Daniel is the beloved of the Old Testament. John is the beloved of the New Testament. And God shared his end time secrets with both of those beloved. Amen. And let me let, me let you in on this. Do you know what the Bible calls us in 1 John? The Bible says that you and I, we are accepted in the beloved. Praise God. This morning, if you're here, this morning, if you're listening and you feel like you've never fit in, if you feel like you've never made the cut, if you feel like you've been the black sheep of your family, if you feel like no one's ever accepted you and you've never been comfortable, let me remind you, precious friend, 
When you become born again, you're accepted in God's beloved. Amen. And people can judge you and they can look down on you. They can talk about people can do whatever they want to do. But God has accepted you in his beloved. Now, Daniel told to seal it up. John told to reveal it. But in this one case in Revelation, John is told to seal it up. Isn't that fascinating? So what are these seven thunders? What did they say? If you're going to take notes, write it down. We don't know. (laughs) And you know what? As a Christian, there has to be some things that you're just okay not knowing. Why? Because Paul told us in this life, on this side of eternity, we see through a glass dimly. There are just some things, friends, we're not going to know. Until we get to the right side of eternity. Continue, please. Verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. All right. Let's pause right there. First of all, I want you to note this. If you're someone that you write in your Bible, which I encourage you to, I think it's good to I think it's good to 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 note God's word. When I had eyesight, I wanted things to jump out off the page to me. So I would highlight and I would circle words and I would asterisk things and I would parenthesis things and I, I wanted it to leap off the page at me. You ought to note this, you ought to mark this. The Bible teaches, and I believe it's very strong in the book of Revelation. I think it's very strong in the last days. I think it's particularly strong through the seven-year tribulation. The Bible wants us to note God is the creator. Worship him who created the heavens and all that's in it. Who created the earth and all that's in it. Who created the sea and all that is in it. Friend, the number one marking of the last days is deception. And do you know what deception is being pushed on your children? Do you know what deception is being pushed on your grandchildren? Let me tell you, guys, if you're listening to me right now and you're in middle school and you're in high school and you're entering into college, I'm telling you, there is an agenda In this earth, there is a spirit in this earth, and it is a spirit of deception. And let me tell you what, one of the crown jewels of Satan's deception, it is the teaching of evolution. And let me just tell you why. I got got to get off my chair for a minute. Let me tell you why that evolution is such a deception. Say amen if you're with me right now. Because let me tell you, mom, dad, let me tell you, grandparent, if Satan can convince your children that God is not the creator, he will convince them that God will never be their judge. And if you're in middle school, high school, college, if you're in elementary, and this agenda is being pushed on you, that, listen, there's no creator. Everything just big bang happened. Let me tell you the deception in it. If you don't see God as your ultimate creator, you'll never see him as your judge. What a deception of Satan. 
And here, why in the last days? Why particularly right here in Revelation? Why does it tell us to acknowledge God as creator of the heavens and everything that's in them? Of the earth and everything that's in it. And the sea and everything that's in it. Because God in his wisdom knew there would be a spirit permeating the culture of the last days. And it's called evolution. And it's a lie right out of the pit of hell. Can we say amen today? Well, I'll sit back down. Now, God is going to decree something. He's going to declare something. There'll be no more delay. Friends, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. We're in a transition in the book of Revelation. We've come to many transitions in the book. Here is yet another. What is God saying? Say amen if you're with me right now. There's no more repentance. There's no more grace. Judgment has come. And this is where we are in the book of Revelation. There'll be no more delay. Continue, Caleb. And he swore that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, what is the mystery of God? For all of human history, this has been the question, and this is the mystery. When Satan entered into the garden of evil, he deceived Eve, and as we always teach, Romans 5, Romans 6, Adam rebelled. Adam was not deceived by the serpent. Eve was deceived. Adam rebelled. And Adam brought sin upon all humanity. Therefore, he brought death upon all humanity. Through one man, Adam, all men are condemned. But through one man's obedience, Jesus, all men can live. That's the gospel. That's Romans 5 and 6. Here's what I want you to see. For all of human history, the question had been asked. Why would God allow Satan on the earth? Why does God allow sin to remain? Friends, I want you to understand the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of God's plan, the purpose of revelation. It is all culminating to the coming kingdom of God on this earth. And let me tell you what the kingdom of God is about. Uh, skip ahead, Caleb. Read for me chapter 11, verse 15, please. Remember, don't forget this. In your Bible, there are 1,800 scriptures pointing to the coming kingdom of Christ. And you remember in the wilderness, we've already covered this, but let me spend 20 seconds on it. In the wilderness, in the temptation of Christ, Matthew 4, Satan presents Christ with three temptations. And the, and the final temptation, you remember, were the kingdoms of this world. Now remember, Jesus refused them, but he did not refute them. Why could Satan offer the kingdoms of this world? Why? Because he's the God of this world. Why? Because man forfeited this world to Satan through the fall. So all of human history 
is the story of God's kingdom coming. Why? Because when God's kingdom comes, listen to me, every wrong will be made right. You remember when John wept in chapter 5 because no one was worthy to open the scroll? What did that mean? He wept. The Greek there is convulsly. He convulsed. Why? Because that meant sin would continue to go on. There would not be an ending of sin on the earth. But do you remember what we studied in chapter 5? Christ, the great kinsman redeemer. Christ who was a near kinsman, Emmanuel. Christ who was willing. Christ who was able. Christ who assumed all legal responsibility. Now he's able to take the scroll and redeem human history. And what is the point? Here is the entire point. Of the seven-year tribulation period. Read it for me, Caleb. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. See, there you go. The judgments. The seal judgments. The trumpet judgments. The bowl judgments. They pave the way for the kingdom of of God. And now where are we in the book of Revelation? God has given the 144,000 sealed evangelists to herald the gospel. God has given the martyrs, God has given the tribulation saints. The gospel is being proclaimed all over the world. Multitudes have repented and now we're at the midway point of the tribulation. Now according to chapter 11 as we'll see in a moment, there are going to be 42 months left in human history, 1260 days, and now God Almighty declares in chapter 10, there will be no more delay. What is he saying friends he's saying that the kingdom is coming and every wrong will be made right every injustice will be found with justice amen Amen. and we're at a transition in the book and the mystery of God is going to be fulfilled and what's the mystery of God why is Satan loosed on the earth and his time is coming to an end Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Next, please. This is chapter 10, verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth... It will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So this is very interesting. The same experience happened to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Remember what we keep saying through our study? 404 verses in Revelation, yet 800 references back to the Old. The same thing happened to Ezekiel. What is the point? Why is this in the Bible? Why is this recorded? In the Bible, tasting, eating, is a reference to believing. What John, I believe, is saying, and many of you will identify with this. When you and I receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's sweet to our lives. 
It's sweet to our taste. But when you and I think about our lost loved ones, those who face a Christless eternity, those who face an eternity of hell and the lake of fire, when we think about the people who we love the most, who are apart and undone without the grace of God, what is it? It's bitterness to our stomachs. Many of you will identify with this. Yes, the gospel is sweet to us. But those who are without the gospel, it makes us bitter to our stomach. That's why, as I've shared with you, coming August the 8th, God has put in our hearts 40 days of praying for prodigals. And I believe it's going to be a time of concentrated, holy, unrelenting prayer before God on behalf of those who are without Jesus. Friends, I hope you're preparing yourself spiritually because I believe God is going to come in might and in power and he's going to rescue soul after soul after soul in these last and final days. Can we say amen to that? Next, please. Verse 11. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So let's... Let's explain this for a moment because this is very interesting. Right now, there is not a temple built in Jerusalem where the Holy of Holies once stood is the Islamic shrine, the Dome of the Rock. That's the large golden dome in Jerusalem. How there will ever be a temple in Jerusalem, makes us scratch our heads. Now, what's interesting is from A.D. 70, when the Romans took control of Jerusalem, there were two previous temples. Solomon's temple in the Old Testament was destroyed by the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Herod's temple, which was what Christ was in, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark, oh, I think chapter 13. Herod's temple was destroyed by Titus and his army, the Roman army, in AD 70. We covered this in a previous session. Just for those of you that perhaps you weren't here, let me just 20 seconds explain Jesus said of the temple that it would be destroyed. And Jesus said that, what not, that not one stone would be left upon the other. Gold had melted in the temple in between the stones of the floor. And Titus, who was the Roman general, his father Vespasian, had to go back to Rome to become the emperor. And by the way, do you know who Vespasian was? He's the man who built the Colosseum in Rome. Hmm. His son was Titus. He left his son Titus as general of the Roman army. And when Jesus prophesied and said that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by a prince, that was Titus, AD 70, he said, flee Jerusalem, leave, don't even go back. 
And you know, the historian Josephus tells us numerous Christians were saved because they heeded Jesus. They, they listened to his words. It happened 38 years after Jesus prophesied that. The first temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. The second temple, Herod's temple, was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Now, the third temple is yet to be rebuilt. Now, while you and I can't figure out how that temple is going to be built on a Muslim shrine, let me remind you of this. Israel was not a state for nearly 2,000 years. From A.D. 70, with the fall of Jerusalem, to May 14, 1948, Israel was not a state. The only way that major prophecies of end times could have happened was for Israel to become a country again. That happened May 14, 1948. Don't think for a moment that the temple that Daniel prophesies in Daniel 9, that Jesus prophesies in Matthew 24, and that is prophesied here in Revelation chapter 11, will not be rebuilt. Now, my personal thought is, and I've never heard anyone say this, so take it with a grain of salt. My personal thinking is, Daniel 9, 27 says that the Antichrist is going to enforce a covenant with Israel. He'll He'll strong-arm them. How will a global world ruler, what the Bible calls the beast, how will he strong-arm the nation of Israel? I believe when I look at Israel today, I think the only way Israel would yield and submit is if they got their temple on the Dome of the Rock. Now, how that world ruler, how that beast, how that antichrist will do it, as I've said through the series, he'll do what President Carter, President Reagan, President Bush, President Clinton, President Bush, again, (laughs) President Obama, President Trump, and President Biden. He'll be able to do what none of them could do. And I believe the temple is going to be the key focus to Israel submitting. Anyways, let's continue. This is chapter 11, verse 3 now. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. So just real quick, pay attention because for 11 chapters now, particularly beginning in chapter 6, from chapter 6 through chapter 11, notice the phrase that continues to pop up. I will grant authority. I will give permission. One thing you should never forget through the book of Revelation. See, for those of you, oh, my precious friends, for those of you that Revelation scares you so bad, don't be scared because God grants all power and authority. Your God, the God who loves you, the God that saves you, your Abba, Father, he's in full control through it all. Amen? So he's going to give power to these two witnesses. Now, who are these two witnesses? I believe that there are four possibilities to who the two witnesses could be. Let's say five possibilities because, quite frankly, the scripture doesn't tell us 
We have indicators. There are hints that if you study Scripture carefully, we can draw some interesting conclusions. But Scripture doesn't tell us. So the fifth possibility, let's just say, very well may be two men that we don't even know they exist. We don't know who they are. But unlikely. I think, I think Scripture gives us some pretty strong clues. So let's go over the four. Number, number one, some believe it is the Apostle John himself. I don't lean toward that view. The reason why some believe that is the last verse of chapter 10, which Caleb just read. You know, when John eats the scroll and it's sweet in his mouth, bitter in his stomach, he's told you must go on to prophesy to kings and nations. Well, I I don't, you know, it could be, but I, I don't lean toward that. But number one, it could be John the apostle. Number two, some believe that it could be Enoch. Now, who was Enoch in the Old Testament? Enoch was a man in Genesis. I believe he was the grandfather to uh, Noah, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody fact check me there. Was, was it Enoch that was the grandfather or father? Grandfather. Okay, thank you. What's interesting about Enoch is that he's the first person... In the Bible, he's the first person in human history, as far as we know, that never died. The Bible says that he walked with God and then was not. In other words, he was translated. He he is the first person in the Bible that is a picture of the rapture. He was harpazoed, caught up, translated. He was raptured. What's interesting about Enoch is that he was raptured before the flood. He was raptured before judgment. What that indicates to us, I believe, it's yet another strong evidence that the church will be raptured before the judgment of the tribulation period. Will be raptured before the wrath of God. I believe he's a symbol of that. What's interesting about Enoch is that he never died. Now, Scripture says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man to die once. So many people think that it's going to be Enoch because he would fulfill that scripture. It's appointed unto man to die once. That makes good logical sense. I, won't, I mean, I wouldn't debate that. I think it's an incredibly high likelihood. Now, let me say this about that principle. That's not a blanketed principle. The reason why is because there will be millions upon millions of Christians who will never die. They'll be harpazo. They'll be raptured. Secondly, you know, there were many people in the Bible who died twice. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but yet he died again. Talitha was raised from the dead, but yet she died again. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, yet she died again. The boy on the way to, uh, who was in the coffin, Jesus raised him from the dead. He died again. So I don't think that that's a blanketed principle. You know, just by the way, just so you, 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 you can look at this If you like, you know, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever attended. (laughs) Read it. Jesus ruined every funeral because death cannot live among the Son of God. Amen. He ruined every funeral. Praise God. So could it be Enoch? Yeah, very likely. But there's two more clues. Caleb, continue reading, please. This is verse 4. 
These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of and, the earth. And that's a reference to Zechariah. Okay, go ahead. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Mm. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Gosh, can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the torment these two witnesses are going to bring on the earth? Well, so John the Revelator is a, a, an interesting candidate. Enoch is a highly interesting candidate. But there's two clues in this scripture that I think you'll find interesting. Number three, it very well may be Elijah. Now, why would Elijah be a strong candidate? Well, a few reasons. Number one, once again, like Enoch, Elijah never died. To our knowledge, Enoch and Elijah are the only two people who never died. Enoch was taken up into heaven. Again, he was harpazoed. He was raptured up. So Elijah, number one, never died. Again, that will fulfill that Hebrews 9.27, if you want to adhere strictly to that. But think about this. The Old Testament predicts that Elijah is going to come again. That's why people in Jesus' day thought John the Baptist may be Elijah. Or that Christ may be Elijah. Because they were looking for Elijah to come back. But number three, and here's the greatest evidence. He had the power to shut up the heavens that it may not rain. Do you remember who did that in the Old Testament? It was Elijah. He prevented rain for three years under the wicked king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. So he'll do that work, according to this, I believe, once again. And then the fourth evidence that I think it very well may be Elijah. Do you remember who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus in Matthew chapter 17? It was Elijah. And who's the fourth candidate? Moses. Now, a little tricky because Moses died. Moses died. So if you want to follow strictly uh, that it's Enoch and Elijah, very possible. But could it be Moses and Elijah? Well, so again, the two evidences. Not only did he have the power to shut the heavens, that would be Elijah. But notice what else he did. He turned the waters into blood. What did Moses do during the ten plagues of Egypt? He turned the Nile River to blood. And then the other evidence, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, with Christ? Moses and Elijah. Isn't that interesting? So that's four very highly uh, candidates, very possible. Now, let's continue. This is verse 7. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit. So let's pause there. This is the first mention now, this is notable in your Bible. This is the first mention of the Antichrist in Revelation. We saw him in chapter 6 as the rider of a white horse, but it did not name him. We know it's him based on the false peace, based on the arrow with no bows, diplomacy, the Stephanos, the overcoming crown. We know that's the Antichrist, but this is the first 
reference to him in the book of Revelation 36 times. He's going to be called the beast. And this is the first reference to him. And why is it here? We're going to see him at his pinnacle in chapter 13. We're going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to show you the profile of the Antichrist. I'm going to show you how Scripture speaks more of the Antichrist than any other human figure other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks more about Babylon than any city in the Bible apart from Jerusalem. The Bible is the story of Christ in Jerusalem and the Antichrist, the Pseudo-Christ, and Babylon. And we're going to watch it all unfold in the coming weeks. This is the first mention of him of 36 mentions. And why is it here? I believe the Antichrist will be very uh, formidable. I believe he'll be on the world stage. But I believe this is where he solidifies his power on the earth. I believe this is where he takes full command and full control because what's going to come in two more chapters is the mark of the beast. And I cannot wait to explain to you the mark of the beast will we'll lay it all out. But this is the first mention of him. Continue. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them. And conquer them and kill them. And I believe this will solidify him as the world dictator that scripture says he will be. Verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Now what does this mean? This is interesting. Why does John call Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt? We know this is Jerusalem because where was the Lord Jesus Christ crucified? Jerusalem. And everything in the last days is centered in Jerusalem. So we know that this is Jerusalem. But, so why is it called Sodom and Egypt? Because, now, again, say amen if you're with me. I, I, I check in every now and then because I can't see you. Why is this Sodom and Egypt? I believe what God is indicating. Why did God bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Because of their sexual immorality. Why did God bring the ten plagues upon Egypt? Because of their idolatry. Every plague in the ten plagues of Egypt dealt with the gods they worshipped. And you know what I believe God is saying to us? That the earth is going to be rampant with sexual immorality. Is that happening right now today? It's telling us that the earth is going to be rampant with idolatry. Is that happening on the earth today? You betcha. And what he's saying, I believe what he's saying, is that the judgments that were on Sodom and Gomorrah for sexual immorality, the judgments that were upon Egypt because of their idolatry, are all going to culminate here in this last days. Next, please. Verse 9. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Now, because these. Sorry. Understand this. Do you know 
that for years and years, for centuries, this was one of the critic, uh, people who were critics of the Bible. This is a scripture that they criticized. Because they said years ago, how can the whole world view this one event? How can the nation see one thing? If you and I were alive, if this church were present and it was 1930, how would you and I explain this? If we were, if this right now were 1880, how would we explain this text? But no, see, right here in our day, we can fully explain it. How will all the nations of the earth witness this? How would they all watch their dead bodies in the streets of Jerusalem? Their phones, their tablets. You can look this up, but last year I, I just took note. I heard on the news and it just made me chuckle. They're attempting, and you can look it up to see how far they've gotten or if they're even still attempting it. But there are, they are trying to launch thousands of satellites up in outer space. And they're trying to create literally a web of satellites around the circle of the earth. What for? So that the most remote Areas of the earth have the internet. You know what they're doing, friends? They're fulfilling the scripture. Because in that day, those who dwell on the earth... What did we say weeks ago? You have to understand the categories, the different sets of people in the book of Revelation. you got to know the 24 elders represents the New Testament church. You need to understand who the four living creatures are, that they're, they're, a, different, they're, they're a select type of angels. you got to understand the angels are not the church. The angels is not... you got to understand who Israel is. The 144,000 sealed Jews. you got to understand these groups. you got to understand who the tribulation saints are. Remember, John didn't recognize the tribulation saints because they're not the church, the New Testament church. And then you have to understand who the earth dwellers are. That's what Revelation calls those who are going to be under God's judgment. And the Bible says the earth dwellers are going to view their dead bodies for three and a half days. And here's what's interesting. You need to note this. This is the one and the only time in the book of Revelation, this is the one and only time in the seven-year tribulation that people on the earth rejoice. The only time in seven years. This is the only time that they rejoice. And watch how short-lived it is. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. Hallelujah. And they stood up on their feet, <laughs> and great fear fell on those who saw them. Yes. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched <laughs> them. Now, come on now. Those of us who are students of the Bible, what's that phrase, come up here? We've learned it through the whole series. Oh, I'm so pleased. Amen. Oh, give yourselves a hand. I love it. I love it. Harpazzo. Harpazzo. Oh, I want a t-shirt that says Harpazzo. We could do a t-shirt line that says it's Greek to me. Greek to me apparel. Harpazzo. What does it mean? It's the verb. Come up here. It's where we get our word, rapture. And what happens to these two witnesses? 
They're raptured into heaven. They'll go up on a cloud and their enemies will watch them. Oh, the power of God in the last days. Amen? Amen. And remember, now see, remember where we are in the book. There's 42 months left of human history. Remember where we are. What is the mystery of God? The mystery of God is sin on the earth. Satan loosed on the earth. And the mystery of God is about to be fulfilled. What is no longer delayed? Do you remember? Do you remember the souls under the altar of God? In the sealed judgments, those who were martyred for Christ? And what were they crying out in Revelation 5? What are they crying out? Oh God, when will your vengeance come? And what did God say? Wait a little bit longer. And where are we? There's no more delay. The 144,000 have preached the gospel. The seals have come. The trumpets have come. And now there's no more grace. There's no more repentance. There's no more delay. And now the kingdom of God is coming to this earth. And what does that mean? Every right will be, every wrong will be made right. Continue, Caleb. This is verse 13. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So let me just address something very quickly here, because some people get a little tripped up here. Why does... Why does chapter 9 say that people will try to kill themselves, the, the, death will flee, and people won't be able to die, but yet two chapters later, 7,000 died in an earthquake? Remember when it says that people will try to kill themselves and they will not be able to. We covered that last week. Well, does that mean people will shoot themselves and they won't die? They'll throw themselves from buildings and they won't die. I mean, it would be horrific. That is a certain trumpet judgment. And the Bible tells us the length of that period, five months. Some people, I believe, erroneously believe that people won't be able to be killed during the tribulation period. But no, right here, 7,000 die in this one earthquake. There's going to be enormous death during the tribulation. But why? There's only that five-month period. And what did we say today? Enoch is a picture of the church he was raptured before the flood before Noah's flood came the judgment and what did we say last week how long was the flood five months very interesting continue please verse 15 then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and Hallelujah. ever and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers hmm. of the earth. Listen to that. For destroying the destroyers 
of the earth. Wow. Now, again, church, let's be students of the word. Who are the 24 elders? It is the church. It's us. It's those believers from the day of Pentecost to the harpazo, to the catching away, to the rapture of the church. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Who are the believers who are saved during the tribulation? Those are called tribulation saints. Chapter 6, there'll be a number which no man could number. But why did John not recognize the tribulation saints? It's because it's not the church. Who are the 24 elders? It's the blood-bought church. And here's why it's so important to me that you know this. Because what Caleb just read, when the 24 elders fall on their face before God, do you know who it's speaking of? Us. When it said, blessed is the Lord who was and is, who says that? Us. When we worship the Lord God Almighty, friends, it is us around the throne of God, worshiping. What a day. What a day that's going to be. Hallelujah. Continue, please. And the final verse, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So remember what we said in the beginning of our study. You'll never exhaust the number seven in the book. It, it is throughout the entire, every time, you, just, you can build list upon list upon list of sevens. And then you can also find there are multiple sets of sevens and it all equals out to seven. Seven is God's favorite number. When the temple in heaven opens, this is the seven, this is one of seven doors opening in the book. Now, you know, archaeologists always search for the Ark of the Covenant, don't they? They've never been able to find it. Maybe they will. For me, it doesn't matter. I have no interest. It doesn't matter whether they find it or not. The Ark of the Covenant, see, this is what I want you to see. The Ark of the Covenant that God had Moses build was simply a replica. The real Ark is in heaven. Amen. It was a replica upon the earth that God chose to dwell and bless. But the real, as we would say, the real McCoy is safe in the presence of the Lord. Amen. So what is the purpose of what we've read today? What's the purpose of what we've studied? Friends, there's going to be a day that God declares there's no more delay. This precious little girl in Rogersville that is missing. Friends, there's going to be a day that every wrong will be made right. Every murder, every rape, every molestation, every theft, every lie, every betrayal. Friends, there's going to be a day that God reckons it all. And maybe today in your own life, you can't make sense 
of why God has allowed, though it would seem, certain things to happen. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been neglected, forsaken, abandoned. Maybe people have done very evil and wicked things to you. My precious friend, there'll be a day that God settles all accounts. Are you right with God today? Are you among the church today? Or would you be an earth dweller? What category are you in? Would you be among those that dwell on the earth that will experience the wrath of God? And as I've said through this study, my friends, this is a short period of judgment. This is not even hell. This is not even the lake of fire. Will your adultery send you to hell? Will your sexual immorality bring God's judgment on you? Will your lying? Will your theft? Will your hatred and unforgiveness, will that bring the wrath of God on you? But yet, precious friend, the gospel is that Jesus absorbed your wrath. The gospel is that the wrath of God for your sin was poured upon the Lamb of God. And he absorbed. So the question today is this. Have you come to Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Or are you like those who dwell on the earth and they would not repent as we saw last week? Is your heart hardened before God? Is God knocking? Is God knocking? Oh, if God is convicting you, what a precious gift you have. If God is dealing with you, don't, don't turn away. Don't say no because it's precious. It's precious. Today, you should say yes to the Lordship of Jesus. You should forsake your sins. You should turn and run from them and run straight to Jesus. You've been playing church. You've been messing around with the world. You live one way in here. You live another way out there. Your life is rampant with sin. Friends, today is the day to repent because I'm telling you there is a day coming soon that a trumpet is going to sound. We who are alive and remain, we shall be called up, harpazo, and we shall forever be with the Lord. But what about you? Are you in that number? Are you in the saved? Are you in the redeemed?
Are you born again? What a tragedy of tragedies to have access to the Bible, to sit in church, and to die in your sins. Where is your sin today? Is it in the blood of Jesus? Have you washed your robes in the blood of the Lamb? Or is your sin on your own head today? Is it rampant in your life? Is it unforgiven? Are you unrepentant? Right now, I want you to pray with me right now. If God's dealing with your heart, if you want to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to heed the warnings of God, if you want Him to save your life and change you, if you want to make Him Lord, with every decision of your life, I want you to pray with me right now, this very moment. Don't let pride, don't let doubt, don't let other people, don't let arrogance, don't let anything keep you from praying with me right now. I want you to pray right now, Lord Jesus Christ. Pray it right now in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess my sins. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Rescue me today. Forgive my sin today and save me for all eternity. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Accept me today in your beloved. In Jesus' name. Everybody with your head bowed, your eyes closed. Those of you that have prodigals. Those of you who have loved ones that you're praying for right now. Caleb, I want you to lead us in a prayer for prodigals. I want you to join your faith right now. I want, listen, this is what I'm asking God for. From now through August the 8th, and then 40 days from August the 8th to September the 19th, I'm asking God to birth a burden in our souls like we've never carried before. I'm talking a burden that will take our sleep. I'm talking a burden that will take our appetites. I'm talking about a burden that will cause us to weep before the Lord Jesus for the souls of men and women, for the souls of students, for the souls of boys and girls, and that we will see a harvest of souls like we have never seen in Jesus' name. As Caleb prays, I want you to ask God right now, put in my heart a burden for people, God. Put specific people in my heart and teach me, God, how to pray. Teach me how to intercede. Teach me how to fast. Teach me how to tarry. Teach me how to wait before the Lord and trust you for their salvation. Lead us, Caleb. As I lead this prayer, I, I invite you and I encourage you to lift up your voices with me yes. as we pray. The, the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And if we're going to speak life to our, our brothers and our sisters, our sons and our daughters, our mothers and our fathers, that we must speak that out. So I invite you to pray out loud with me. Don't sit there in silence. 
pray with me. Yes. If you wish to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to come to this altar, you come to this altar, and our yes. altar team will pray with you. Yes. Let's pray together. Father, yes. we thank you for our families, yes. our loved ones, Lord. Rescue. They are a blessing, God, Rescue. every last one of them. Our brothers, our sisters, Hallelujah. Lord, our sons and our daughters, yes, Lord. God. You gifted them to we us, the Lord. Blood over them, and Lord. we thank you so much for them, Lord. The blood. And Lord, we thank you for the heart that you've given Hallelujah. us for our loved Hallelujah. ones, Lord. We thank you so much for blessing us with your spirit, Lord, so we can have a heart that is burdened for our loved ones, God. And God, many of us here, we have family, we have friends that do not know you. And Lord, it scares us, it hurts us, it breaks our hearts to see them walking down that path of destruction so blindly. But Lord Jesus, we believe in a God who is not restricted by the word impossible. We believe in a God who will never run out of miracles. We believe in a God who loves those whom he calls son and daughter, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, go after our loved ones right now. In this moment, Lord, may our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters, Lord, may they all feel the love of God in their hearts right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, go after every last one of them, Lord. Every last one of them, Lord. Go after them all. We don't believe in too far gone, Lord. It's not too late for them just yet, Lord, but we know that the clock is ticking, that time is running out. The time of your return is coming, Lord Jesus. Lord, may when the day comes that we stand before your throne, singing a new song and worshiping you, Lord Jesus, may we see our loved ones right next to us, Lord, with their voices raised with us, worshiping you, Jesus, Lord. Lord, we don't wish to lose them. And Lord, you wish them not to be lost. So Holy Spirit, go after them. And Lord, put a burden in each of our hearts to pray for them without ceasing. Teach us to not give up on them, Lord. Teach us to show them who you are in whatever way necessary, Lord. Show us how to love like you. Show us how to serve the way you did, Lord. Give us the right words to say. All those nights when we're so scared for them, Lord, that we don't even know what to say. Teach us how to pray, Lord. Lord, may, may hearts of stone be made into hearts of flesh. May scales fall from their eyes. May pride be shattered. May hatred be cast out. Convict them, Lord. Bring them to your altar, Lord. And let us see those miracles, Lord. Let us see those salvations, Lord. For you long to hold them within your arms, Lord. We know that is your will, God, to hold them within your arms as your children, Lord. God, give us those evangelistic hearts that seek to see all around us join us in heaven, Lord. 
thank you so much, Jesus. And we praise you. And we worship you. And we bless your holy name, Lord. And we thank you so much, God, for loving our loved ones enough to die for them, Lord. Even now, as they sin and rebel against you, you loved them enough to lay your life down for them, Jesus. God, you loved them enough to knit them in their mother's wombs. Thank you, God, for those blessings. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move within our families. And when we see those salvations, Lord, when we see our loved ones on their knees with tears in their eyes, surrendering their hearts to you, Lord, we will keep ourselves off of the stage, Lord, and we will give all glory to you, God. The glory is yours, Lord Jesus. We worship your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.